the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer for the podcast. Just a reminder to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and please give us a five-star rating. Also, check us out on YouTube, subscribe to our channel, and give us a thumbs up on our videos. That helps people find us because Google will point them in our direction. And our whole purpose is to give hope to people who are suffering from addiction or who have loved ones suffering from addiction, and also to make sure that they know that help is available. Today's episode is episode number 262. And today we have an interview. This is one maybe a little difficult for me, but we'll do it. It is with a gentleman named Jeff Johnston. On October 4th, 2016, the trajectory of Jeff's life changed with one phone call. Prior to that day, he was living the American dream. He had a great family, was a successful entrepreneur running a financial services firm in Iowa, and was seemingly coasting through life. The morning of October 4, 2016, Jeff received the phone call that is every parent's worst nightmare. His oldest son, Seth, had died from fentanyl poisoning. He was 23 years old. Jeff soon realized that he had two options. He could go down a road of anger and despair and become bitter, or he could use his situation as motivation to become better. Well, he did the second. And today he's going to share his story with us and what he's doing personally to help end the addiction pandemic. Let's talk to Jeff Johnston. Jeff Johnston, thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast today and share your story with us. I'm honored and I'm humbled to be on the addiction podcast because this is something that's very close to my heart as uh, your listeners will find out as I go through the, go through the amazing journey that I've been on. Awesome. I mean, awesome. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to start with your story. Now, give us just a little, I know that this story has more to do with your family as you're a grown up, but tell us about where you grew up, what your life was like. Did you have your own background with drugs? That's a, that's a great question. I, I grew up in the, in the, what I would consider the leave it the beaver family, you know, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. My dad's a doctor. My mom, graduated number one or number one in her class in college she decided to stay home and raise four boys so i had a loving environment no alcohol abuse my i never saw my mom ever have a drink of alcohol i've never seen my dad drunk um i, I knew he he had a beer or two every night but that was it you know so pretty insulated family life. Uh, and and um, my older two brothers would occasionally do drugs and stuff, but again, never incarcerated, uh, never really any issues. Nobody ever died that I knew in my school. I think we had one drunk driving accident where someone got injured, but there was never, just back in the 80s, you just lived life and we explored and we had a good time and uh, nobody died. I've never done drugs my entire life, uh, but... I've been drinking since seventh grade and I had a compulsive gambling problem for about 20 years. Now, why that's important to add, uh, Joni, is that I'm an investment advisor as well. So when I was 23, I started my financial services practice up. I built it to about a $700 million practice as of um, a few years ago. 
nine full-time financial advisors and seven full-time staff. So being a compulsive gambler wasn't something that you went out and broadcasted. And yet, I, I having worked for a hedge fund manager a couple ah, different okay. times, yeah. it is sort of almost like a legal form of gambling, if you will. Mm -hmm. I was going to Vegas, uh, you know, and I was just, I, I was hurting myself. Understood. At the time, I wasn't married. I got married late at 35. I'm 55 right now. I'll be 56 in two weeks. Um, and I was hurting myself, you know, but I never did drugs. I drank a lot. So my, my addiction issues were uh, gambling and drinking. And I also define addiction a little differently than a lot of people because I think there are many positive addictions. Um, I have attention deficit, for example. So I'm addicted to being intense and focused and I love life. And, you know, I, I'm addicted to having a positive attitude and I'm addicted to, to healthy eating. So addiction to me doesn't have the negative connotations that a lot of people like to like to say. And that's one thing I'm trying to do when I'm out talking to people about changing the narrative, especially with kids, is I'll I'll start my presentation by write down some addictions and we'll go around the room and none of them are ever, ever positive. Right. And so we're trying to change that narrative so people don't always have to subscribe to this um, this uh, image of addiction being bad. It doesn't have to be bad. It doesn't. You're right. I like it. I'm addicted to a show called Too Cute, which is about puppies and kittens. <laughs> I'm willing to admit it. Good for you. There you go. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry, I interrupted. Keep going. No, no, we're fine. And so really, you know, my my journey kind of began on October 4th, 2016. That's kind of where I like to start everything. That day was like any other day in the heartland of America. Um, it was a beautiful fall day in Iowa. And my wife and I were getting ready to go watch our middle son go golf for districts. He was how, a sophomore. How Sorry. many boys did you have? Seth's our oldest. Okay. Ian's the middle. Okay. And Roman's the, Roman's the youngest. Okay. so three And I grew guys. up with three brothers. So it's like, you know, I've had testosterone around me all the time. That's one of the reasons why I'm probably hyper. Um, and so just another day, I was just getting ready. I've coached all my boys. I coached Seth in basketball. It's like, I was nervous, you know, golf's a stressful sport to watch every shot, pins and needles. I was dropping Ian off at, uh, at the school six 30 in the morning and I'm getting the clubs out of the back of the car, have my coffee in hand and wave at the coach and my phone rings. And I looked down at my phone and I knew in my heart that this call was a bad call. I just knew. And I hesitated for a minute. I thought, I don't want to answer this. And I did. And I got the call that every parent dreads. And I became a member of a club that I cannot leave and one that didn't ask to join. And they found our oldest son, Seth, dead from heroin with fentanyl at the age of 23 in a seedy hotel room less than a mile from where my middle son was golfing that day. And so I know I what I did. So sorry. I, I just, yeah, I, I know I said in the intro, this is going to be difficult for me. And I know what I didn't do. I didn't tell my son. I loved him. Like I always did. I got in my car and I thought, how am I going to tell my wife that our son is dead? And Ian had to think at 16, you know, where's dad going? You know, what's going on? This is my big moment. And he went off to his golf tournament. And I just thought to myself, oh, my God, I got to tell my wife. So I got in the house and I'm shaking like this. And she knows something really bad happened. And 
I get three words out of my mouth. Seth is dead. And you can imagine what happened. You know, just every possible emotion you can possibly have, anger, fear, hatred, you know, just everything. And I'll, I'll fast forward through some of the other stuff. But after my wife and I got ourselves together, we went up to Waterloo where they found Seth and no one else would go in the room. The police had already been in and I decided to go in the room and um, on his bed was his belt in a tourniquet. The last thing that he had was around his arm was his belt. And I, I have the belt right here behind me to remind me every single day why I do what I do. And I have a, I have a saying that drives me. And I think this would really help your, your, your listeners and followers when they're trying to fight through things. Purpose becomes passion when it gets personal. And you say that three times, purpose becomes passion when it gets personal. And for me, this became very personal on October 4th, 2016 at 630 in the morning. And so um, then my next thought. But let me ask you, Jeff, did you have any idea what was going on with him? You did. Okay. Yeah, he was given Adderall. He was given Stratera in fifth grade and for hyperactivity, which is such, I call BS on that whole industry because I'm hyper, I'm intense, I have attention deficit. And the fact we even call it a disorder is criminal. And a doctor can say what they want. And I'm not a doctor. My dad is one. And I tell you what. Attention deficit is a superpower for me. I love it. I absolutely love it. Tell me what five-year-old doesn't have ADD. Show me. And I will show you one that has some kind of problem. Because they shouldn't be quiet. They shouldn't be able to sit still. Yeah. Don't get me me going on that. Yeah, don't get me going on it either. (laughs) You and I will come through the screen here and and hug each other. No, I'm on this passionate mission about changing these stupid labels and narratives we put in. A doctor can call them whatever they want, but I'm not calling my kid a disorder. So that's one thing. So anyway, um, so, you know, Seth was given Adderall at 16 and I, I have one regret in my entire lifetime. People ask me all the time, what's your, what's your regret, Jeff? And my regret is I didn't learn what Adderall was. I just trusted my dad's a doctor. Why wouldn't I trust a doctor? You know, that's that's just how we do things. And so I didn't Google it. I didn't look it up and it's just watered down methamphetamines. That's all it is. And I know some kids need it. I understand that, uh, ADD or attention deficits, like a spectrum. And, and I'm like a seven and Seth was like a six. So the kids that are eight, nines and tens, I understand they, they need something. I'm not anti-drugs. I'm anti-abuse. And Seth abused Adderall, started selling it, started uh, taking too much of it. And then he did his normal things, uh, Joni, that a lot of kids do. They experiment with alcohol. Marijuana was legal in half the country. Dad, it's no big deal. You know, it's legal. And since I'd never done drugs, I couldn't relate to the drug thing, but I certainly could relate to the drinking because I was an alcoholic since, like I said, eighth grade. My wife was an alcoholic too. Uh, And um, so the day Seth died, I sat the boys down on the couch and I had this, this moment, this popped in my head, you know, how how am I going to present this narrative to them in the best possible way that I can? You know, as a dad, this is the thing you train for your whole life teaching moments, right? That, that, that this is me to step up and and pardon the phrase, but be a man, you know, Mm -hmm. this is what a dad's got to do, you know, a father. And so I uh, sat the boys. I said, I said, boys, I got some really bad news for you. Um, And they go, what? And I said, your, your brother's dead. And you could see the water come up, you know, the 13 and 15. You know, Roman got off the bus and Ian got off the golf course. You know, now I got to lay this on him. And then something happened, Joni. I stood up and I thought, here you go, Jeff. This is your halftime speech. This is it. You got one chance to mess this up. 
And I said, boys, we have two, we have one of two roads to go down. We have one road of anger, despair, and hatred, and we'll become alcoholics and addicts ourselves. Or we have a road of inspiration and motivation. And this can be the single greatest event in our lives to make our lives better and those around us. I'm on the second road. I ask you to join me. And I swear to you, I didn't rehearse this. It just came from somewhere. And my two boys have been absolutely unbelievable in how they've dealt with this. And they're not allowing this to become a victim mindset for them. Wow. Yeah. And now I can't say that about my wife. Um, immediately about a year after Seth died, I went straight. My drinking got worse. I, I basically stopped working. I owned my own investment company. So I was able to do that, fortunately. And my wife and I just drank and drank and drank. And then on June 29th, 2021, I buried my wife of oh, 21 no. years at the age of 46. Yeah. Oh, so, no. and I love my wife to death and grief for some people is just too high, too high a mountain to climb. And for, in defense of her, she did her best. And so purpose becomes passion when it gets personal. This is so personal for me. I can't even explain to you where my desire comes from any more eloquently than I just did. I mean, quitting alcohol was the easiest thing I ever did in my life. Once you bury a child and you bury your wife, and if I can't find inspiration from that, then no 12-step meeting is going to fix me. You know, that's that's all I needed. That's all I needed. So I quit on December 24, 2017. I've never had a drop. I don't torture myself. I don't keep count of how many days. I don't call myself sober. I don't go to meetings. Now I'm an anomaly. I understand that when you have attention deficit, you can hyper-focus really well and drinking to me, just I decided I wasn't going to make a game of it. And um, so again, that goes against every expert in this area and I'm all for whatever helps you that that's my answer with any of this stuff. Well, except that I would say that a lot of the experts have never experienced it. Amen. I would agree. I would agree with you. Yeah. So that, that, that's who I am, Joni. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm trying to, I'm trying to show people that you can become a better person and not a bitter person by your mindset and how you frame things in your life. So we can talk about that as we kind of go further down this road. I think that I, I hope this does, I hope this comes across. Okay. But I would applaud you Mm -hmm. for you know, taking that second choice in terms of what you did with your life. Because I've heard it before from people in your position who've lost a child to addiction and who, you know, feel that there's two ways to go. You mm-hmm. either give in to the grief, you give in to the despair, you mm-hmm. give in to the tragedy, mm-hmm. or you decide to do whatever you can do to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell you that the people that come on the podcast and talk to us are those who are making a difference. And mm-hmm. I applaud you for making that decision to do that. Yeah. And it's, it's daily, it's daily work. I mean, I, I, um, I could tell you a story if you have a few, a few minutes, uh, oh, yeah. to let me tell you this very important story about this process of, you know, grief and trauma and, and, and addiction, all these things. It, it, it's not an, it's not an event. It's a process. Seth's death was an event. It happened one day that that day's, you know, for me, it's in my brain, but there's a process that happened before that, that led up to that day. And there's a process I'm going through that happened after that day. 
And this is going to be very surprising to a lot of your listeners, and maybe it won't be. But I started the nonprofit called The Choices Network right after Seth died. I wrote a book called This One's For You, An Inspirational Journey Through Addiction, Death, and Meaning. I'm a massive advocate on mental health. Um, I'll talk about this tour I have coming up here in about a month we leave. But what happened over Christmas was simply terrifying, Joni. And and I have to share this story because um, somebody listening is going to, maybe all your listeners will resonate with this. But after my wife died, uh, and I actually... um, I had to, I had to get a separation. So I bought her a house when her alcohol was getting really bad and I had to get the boys away from alcohol. So I I bought a house for her, bought a house for me, moved in with my two boys and just tried to let her figure out what she was going to do. And, um, and so, uh, she died in June and I was in her basement going through her stuff. and, And I found these seven boxes. Now I call them the seven boxes of doom. I didn't know what was in the seven boxes. I, I, they were, they've been there quite a while and I brought them home, put them in my living room and I'm walking by them for like three months. Okay. Now the holidays hits and you know how the holidays can be when you, when you lose a child, you lose anybody, you know, and I had just lost my mom in November too. My mom died uh, 89 years old and just a beautiful soul. So I had these three losses just all, all hanging on me, kept walking by these boxes, walking by these boxes. And finally one day, I can't explain why I decided, all right, Jeff, man up, pull up a chair. You're Mr. Undeterred. You have a podcast. You, you are, you are bulletproof. You know, you're a rock star. And I pulled up a chair. Ian was in college and Roman was at a friend's house. I'm all by myself. I opened the first box. (laughs) And it's a box of my son, Seth. And it's just every single possible thing involving his life was in there and this was in there this is a four-page note he wrote me when he was in prison i haven't even got far enough to read past the first page even to this day i have not read this note yet and i started going through these pictures and i went from i went from here to here in just one second and it's a friday and i'm alone but i don't want to talk to anybody if you would have called me i would i wouldn't answer the phone and it's just a huge, horrible dynamic in this grieving is you're so alone, but you don't want anyone to help you. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out, if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. 
I shut my phone off, shut my computer off. And I went to the next box and it was my wife and it was our wedding pictures. And it was all our trips to Europe, just these unbelievable, great moments. And I went, I went from, from being in a really good place to the first time in my life, I knew it took me seven seconds to get to my safe and kill myself. I had a gun there. I've never had suicidal ideation in my life. Even after all this, I never considered suicide. And I was at my lowest point and it happened so dang fast. And I don't remember the next two days. Um, I don't remember. My, my business partner's wife came over on Sunday night. Everyone was trying to reach me. My sons thought I had taken my life. And, and uh, they knocked on the door and I answered it. And I was in my underwear, shirt off, you know, just in my living room. I, I literally don't, and I didn't do any drugs. I didn't drink. I just, I don't know what I did. I just went somewhere else out of body. And obviously I didn't take my life. And uh, Lori came in and said, oh my God, Jeff, you okay? And called my business partner and they came over. And, and um, you know, the thing they did though, Joni, is they listened to me. They just listened to me. And I cried and cried and cried. And I just said, what do I do with all this stuff? I, I don't want this stuff, but I can't get rid of it. And it was just, it was just so... It was so bad. And I will tell you, if you're helping someone go through something like this, sometimes not saying anything is so powerful and just, you know, just, just listening. And that's what they did. And to this day, I've not opened up the five boxes, the five left. I've not made it past the first page on this letter from my son. He wrote me. And what was important for me, Joni was, okay, where's the life lesson in this, Jeff? You know, what can I, what can I take from this? And I figured out how this happened. I, I know exactly why this happened to me. And here's why I took shortcuts in my healing. I'm, I'm a meditator. I've been doing it every single day, 10 minutes every day. I skipped a week. Mm. I run on my elliptical for an hour, hour and a half, every single day. I skipped a week. So what happened, Joni's, I got overconfident in my grief and my therapy and whatever I was doing. And I took shortcuts and it almost cost me my life. So I, I beg your listeners, whatever you're doing, if it's God, if it's exercise, if it's doing a podcast, whatever, don't take shortcuts. If, if Mr. Undeterred could almost take his life just three months ago, anyone can. And I still think I'm bulletproof. I think I'm untriggerable. But I've learned now that it wasn't the contents of the boxes. It was the contents of this box mm. that was the problem. So now I added 10 more minutes on my meditation. I do 20 a day and I run for an extra 15 minutes. So I do an hour and 15 on my elliptical. Sometimes I do an hour and a half. I'm terrified of going back to that day and I'm not going to allow myself to get, go, ever go back there. So I have to make sure instead of avoiding it, I got to prepare myself for when I open the next box. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's, that's my metaphor that I use now when I talk to people. So, wow. Wow. Um, what would you have done differently in terms of Seth and mm -hmm. his addiction? I mean, you, you mentioned that he was in prison. Was that drug related? Uh, ironically, it should have been, he was in jail for drug and alcohol issues, but his prison was, he had stabbed somebody. He wasn't drunk or high. The other person was, oh. but it was a fight over a woman at a gas station. And it was just that environment he was in. Um, but he had just got out of prison two months when he did die. But would I do anything differently? 
That's a great question. Like, did uh, sorry to interrupt, but like, did yeah, yeah. did you send him to rehab? Did he do rehab? Yeah, yeah. Okay. and my wife did too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so I I did uh, I did the uh, the tough love. I kicked him out of the house. I I I, I separated from my wife. I, I I made I drew a line in the sand. I they both did the rehab. They, they you know she never had any like jail issues, but you know I Seth had plenty of legal issues. But yeah, I, I look back and I I don't torture myself with hindsight, I try to use it as a benefit. And um, there are life lessons certainly to be learned of things I could have done differently, but I can't do those, but I certainly can talk about them now going forwards that maybe can help some other families, you know? And you know, I think that's huge because I, well, I understand that the grief that you have and the loss never really goes away, but you can, as you said, you can either, it sounds really bad to say, but you can either wallow in it and mm-hmm. and not move forward, or you can grab the bull by the horns and make a difference, not just in your life and the life of your sons, mm-hmm. but in the life of all the people, which is what you've been doing, which, you know, it's huge, Jeff. I mean, really huge. I don't want my grief to go away. That's the difference. I evolve my grief into something else, into something constructive, not deconstructive. So I don't like the word grief. Um, I, I, I just don't, um, I don't, I don't grieve. Um, I evolve and I yep. adapt and Seth and Prudence are part of my story now. And uh, I, I've just, I'm not that smart. So I've tricked my brain not to play some traditional narratives and, and people say you have to grieve. I say, yeah, okay. I, I don't have to do anything. Um, I can convince myself to do whatever I want to do. And that's why my nonprofit's called the choices network. Cause I think, I think we need to empower people to learn to make more better more effective choices under difficult situations and you know like i said i i maybe i'm a little odd in, in how i frame things but i'm also a stoic philosopher so and i mean i mean that lightly i, I can't quote a lot of stoicism i just read a lot of their their books and stoics teach this important concept of reframing and if, if there's if there's one sentence that i would throw out there Joni, that I think your listeners would absolutely be a life-changing sentence. And I, I, I have this with me all the time. And in my speeches, I do. This is my last sentence I, I, I tell people. And, and you need to say this during your day, anytime that, that something happens. And here's the sentence. Do things happen to you or do things happen for you? And, and so here's, here's, how I, here's how I frame that. If things happen to you, you have a victim mindset, you know, woe is me? Why am I being punished? You know, why can't I do this? Blah, 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 blah. And you may even be right, but you're still a victim. Victims yep. can be right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's not a right or wrong thing. It's what's your mindset. And it's so what's your viewpoint is. Yep. Yeah. And so, or you could say things happen for me and you're a victor. Now I've never won. I, I don't, I don't win. I don't mean victor as in awards. I mean, I'm winning each moment of each day. I, there's no award I'm going to get for what I'm doing. But that's a that's a victor mindset. And so I had some time, some mom one time on Facebook, I'm on a lot of chat rooms, and um, she said, Jeff, I can't, you can't convince me that the death of my son happened for me. I said, I don't have to. But I think, how can it not happen for you? Because the other road's the bitter road. And if you don't think this happened for you, then you're on the bitter road. And I don't have time for that. And even if I have to lie to myself and make up a story and, and I'm not a, I'm not a massive believer in things happen for a reason. I think they happen and we just make our own reasons. And 
So I'm not waiting for some sign to give me permission to do what I'm going to do. And I've got two people I very much care about that don't have to be dead. And so, you know, that is where this for me attitude is really framed my life. And then I read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, which is just a, the best book I've ever read. And he says, suffering is my opportunity. And Joni, when I read that, I came out of my chair and I said, okay, this is that epiphany moment. I wrote it down. I'm going to make a tattoo of it. Suffering is my opportunity. Death is my opportunity, you know? And I say this enough that I actually now believe it. <laughs> Initially, I thought this is ridiculous, Jeff. Death isn't an opportunity. You're just saying that. Now I say it enough where I've talked myself into really, I sincerely believe that what happened to me made me a better person. You know, and, and again, I just don't know of any, I don't know why I would want to entertain anything else. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I can see that, you know, I mean, now you are taking responsibility for the lives of, of lots more people than just yourself, your wife and your three boys. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that that's huge when you, um, and you got to talk about your tour, but when you do something mm -hmm. like that, you are taking responsibility for helping to end this addiction pandemic. And it is the responsibility of every single one of us. Mm -hmm. And you, I, I'm not saying that you were a slacker because I don't think that that's true, mm -hmm. but I think that, you know, I think that you've taken your purpose and made it your passion and, and it's making a difference in, in a lot of people's lives. And I think that's huge. And Joni, your, your listeners have to know that I work on this every single day. I mean, every day I yep. wake up, like I'm training to climb, uh, you know, Mount Everest. Um, and it really, that's what life is metaphorically to me as a mountain. You know, my, my wife couldn't make it up the mountain. My son couldn't either, but I'm going to, and I don't know what the mountain is yet, but you know, for me, you know, I have to, I have to work on this hard every day because I know how quickly I can go from Mr. Undeterred to being underground, mm -hmm. you know, that can happen like that. Yep. And I am terrified of having that happen. And you're right. I got too many people to live for. I got too many stories to share and hear and too much life to live, you know? Yep. Yep. Um, so yeah, I think reframing has been an important uh, tool for me in, in my life. I can, I can definitely see that. So tell us about your tour. I want to hear about your tour. Uh, so for the, for your listeners and followers that have attention deficit, they'll love this. So, <laughs> and I have imposter syndrome too, and I'm, I'm competitive. I'm, you know, so, so I, I, when I see someone doing something better than me, I'm like, okay, I can do that. You know, if, if they can do it, I can do it. <laughs> and I think imposter syndrome is great actually. And I think we're promoting it negatively in the narrative in society. And we need to change that. I think great ideas can come out of jealousy and envy. You just don't want them to be stuck too long. Uh, then it can eat at you. But anyway, so I was on my elliptical one day, I jumped off and I jumped on my phone. I jumped on Twitter and there was this dad who was driving across the state he lived in raising money for breast cancer awareness. So you can imagine this dad, probably his wife diagnosed breast cancer. Now all of a sudden, what purpose becomes passion when it gets personal. Now he's out riding a bike, raising money. And I thought, well, that's awesome. I love that guy. I can do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, why, 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 why not? Why can't Jeff do that? So uh, I didn't want to ride a bike and I was too small. So I stayed up till three in the morning that night. I even have the paperwork to document this. And I came up with a three, a three page business plan to buy an RV 
drive around the United States with my two boys and raise a million dollars, go to every state and raise a million dollars for mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. And that morning I got up, Camping World opened at 9 a.m. I drove up to Camping World. I grabbed like <laughs> 10 books in my, po- in my car. And I thought, I'm just going to go talk to the sales manager, sell this idea, give them a free book and see if I can get an RV. I walked out of there three hours later with a 34 foot RV. I've never been in one. I've never driven. Wow. Yeah. And again, this is the curse of attention deficit. And I made myself buy the RV so I couldn't back out. I went on social media. I started bragging about it. And that's a bad word. But I started saying, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And then the terrifying thing was I was going to do this in July. So I bought the RV. I I did the RV in May of last year. I was going to do this in 60 days. And my friends are like, dude, first of all, you're going to be dead. Secondly, think of if you're intentional, if you really get a good team, how much you can do with this project. And I thought, yeah, you're probably right. So I moved it back to May 7th of this year. Okay. So the Living Undeterred US tour, we leave Cedar Rapids on the 7th of May. And we've got 38 states already partnered with us to allow us to stop and present and talk about this issue. Wow. Are you coming to Florida? Yeah, we actually listen to this. Florida is one of our best stops. Fort Lauderdale, the opioid, the Broward uh, County Opioid Project. They're our state partner. Uh, and Chris Car- Carvalho, I think is his name. He's my local advocate there. He's a rock star. He lost his, um, his daughter and his wife to addiction. Great guy. And the United Way, I think, is in our partner with us. And then we have Tampa Bay, the, Lo- the Live Tampa Bay Coalition is our state partner. Wow. So we're going to be in Tampa Bay and I have the dates I can get to you. Yes. I'd be honored to have you pop down and, and introduce yourself and, and, and meet you. Absolutely. Ab- that's a done. That's going to happen. Yeah. If people want to know more about your tour, how do they find out about it? Our website's www.livingundetoured.com. It's a play of T-O-U-R. words. T-O-U-R. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So undetoured.com. So www.livingundetoured.com. There's a short little video about my story in the front. And then all the states are listed. The dates are going to be there. Um, we're still looking for partners in quite a few states. So if you, your listeners are wanting to volunteer at one of our stops or, or know of a nonprofit that would want to uh, partner with us, um, I'd be happy to talk to them. Okay. We'll, we'll think on that and see, yeah, we'll think on that, see who we can reach out to. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you for everything that you're doing. You know, I, I, it's going to take every single one of us to pull together to hopefully put an end to this whole addiction pandemic. And it's, it, we have to all work on it. And you're, you're doing a lot. And I appreciate that more than you know. And I would just tell everybody, make it personal and you'll find your passion. Yep. Thank you. Thanks Thank for talking you very to much. us today. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening today. I think that Jeff had some really, really good messages for you, and I hope you take them to heart. Um, he has his own podcast called Living Undeterred Podcast. And the um, tour that's happening is Undetoured. U-N-D-E-T-O-U-R-E-D. So um, check out his website. 
and um, check out his book as well. I will post a cover on the video. It's called This One's For You, An Inspirational Journey Through Addiction, Death, and Meaning. Thank you for listening. We will be back again next week with another interview. If you have a story you would like to share with us, please reach out. The Addiction Podcast at Yahoo.com. Both Steve and I get that email. Just email us, tell us your story, and we'll go from there. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next week. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, point of no return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.